The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel and I hope you've had another good week. Uh, I had a break recently, which was really good because it gave me the opportunity to find some new guests for you to listen to. Um, And we've had a couple of good ones in the last two weeks. And this week it is Dr. Louisa Sands and she's a consultant child and adolescent psychiatrist. She's worked in mental health for 25 years and she has recently launched a project called Mind Your Life. So hello, uh, Louisa. How are you? Hello, Daniel. I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. And whereabouts in the UK are you? Um, I live near Manchester. Oh, yeah. Quite central, yes, near Manchester. There, there's, um, I've, I've lived here for about 27 years now. Wow. Yeah, I've been to Manchester when I've been over there. I think I was in my 20s at the time, so quite a long time ago. Yeah. So do you want to give me a little bit of background about yourself? Yes, of course I can. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Louisa, one, um, one of eight brothers and sisters, the sixth wow. of eight brothers and sisters. And uh, when, I was, um, when I was little, I um, lived with uh, my brothers that were um, having mental health problems. So from being very young, I knew I wanted to go to medical school and become a psychiatrist because I wanted to understand better mental health, mental illnesses. Yeah. So I did so, and then I came to the um, to the UK to do my training in psychiatry at the time. And I think possibly still, uh, the training in the UK was better than the training in Spain, where I'm from. Um, so um, I uh, became a psychiatrist, uh, that was 27 years ago, and I've been working in mental health for all those years. Um, um, you know, started as a junior doctor, then a consultant, then I became a clinical director for mental health services for children. You know, in, in the UK, we call it CAMS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. Wow. So I became the clinical director for a, a region, a, a big a big area in the northwest of England. Um, and I was doing that um, for, for a number of years. And, and, and at the same time, I was uh, uh, working privately and, and working in, in, in schools, residentially schools for children with learning disabilities, children that are, you know, residents in those schools because they're, 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 the degree of their difficulties is quite quite considerable. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I've been working there for 12 years, I think it is now, providing clinics. So doing a lot of work and, and during my professional career, trying to make things better all the time and develop services, but it got to a point about, uh, well, five years ago, where um, I just felt that the system wasn't working for me. The, uh, you know, I, I had this job as the clinical director for, for CAMS and, and I, the, the expectations, you know, I, I felt that, you know, the, the, the people, the commissioners that commissioned services were not realistic about what, what we could really be doing. We needed more resources. Yeah. We needed more, you know, more, um, a be- be- better provision of services. And we weren't, you know, uh, helped to, to provide in the right way. So I took some time off, Daniel. I decided that I needed to rethink what I was doing professionally 
Uh, and personally, I also I was going through, you know, quite considerable changes in my life. I was getting divorced and, and, and all sorts. So I, I, I took a career break for five years. And you know what? Uh, best decision ever. I, I am so delighted because it was a big challenge as well from having a comfortable income every month to all of a sudden, you know. Um, so but best decision ever because it allowed me to really have time to rethink and reposition myself in in life to be honest and um and then during that time i knew that that you know i needed to i wanted to do more about mental health and i i uh, then started this project uh, which is called mind your life as, as you very well said um, mind your life also uh, you know just a little uh, nice cute anecdote i think when i thought about the name uh, mind of course, it's about care about, but it's also about the mind, about the mental health. Yeah. Uh, your is spelled Y-R, so it's your responsibility. It's about you. It's about you taking responsibility, doing something about it. And life is about, you know, you know, just finding meaning, just, just having a purpose in life. But also, Daniel, the initials of Mind Your Life, M-Y, L are my children's names initials. Wow. Yolanda and Lucas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so Mind Your Life is so incredibly special to me. Um, you know, and I'm so determined to make to make it, you know, grow and, and serve the purpose that it was created for. Yeah. And Mind Your Life is all about uh, eradicating stigma around mental health. It's about providing resources for people. Uh, there are a couple of other things which have gone out of my head at the moment, but it's a really yeah. good project that you're launching because yeah. in these days um, that we, we need a lot more free resources because there are a lot of people out there who can't afford to go privately with seeing psychiatrists, counsellors uh, and psychologists, um, even if they're partly funded by, I guess, in NHS in the UK, Medicare here in Australia. I was actually reading an article today that said that there aren't enough psychiatrists in Australia and there isn't enough rebated service for those who need to see a psychiatrist on a fortnightly or monthly basis. So they run out of their plan two to three months before the end of the year. And if they don't have the funds to pay for a psychiatrist, and our prices here range from $200 to about $500 an hour to see a psychiatrist. Um, you know, so it, there are a lot of people now starting to fall through the cracks and you would think coming through COVID, there would be a lot more fun and there is more funding, but not the funding that we need. It's almost like the funding we needed before COVID has come through. And now we've got probably 50 to 75 percent more people needing mental health um, and there's not that funding. It's like they've gone, well, here's the money we were going to do, but now we need a lot more of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and Daniel, I am a child and adolescent psychiatry. So again, the investment in children is oh, crucial because yes. again, if we invest here and now and we support them to develop and to grow in a much healthier way, then we're saving, you know, and from a from a political, economical point of view, we're saving millions. So even, even from that respect, it's worth spending the, the, the money and the investment now. Never mind, you know, thinking about the well-being of people. That that in itself is, you know, is good good reason enough. But from a from a you know political point of view, it's just so worth to spend and invest 
in young people's mental health. Uh, but you're right, it doesn't happen. And you're right, since the pandemic, the incidence of mental health problems has increased dramatically. I've seen a huge peak, particularly in young people that have anxiety. And, and again, you know, kids that are in the spectrum, in the autistic spectrum, they have, you know, real problems with anxiety. And because they've been at, at home, you know, going back to the, you know, challenges of social interaction and so is, is awful. So we've seen a, a huge increase in uh, mental exactly health needs. It's exactly right what you're saying is being locked down for the year or two years, 18 months, I think there's a lot of children around, say, 10 to, well, probably younger as well, but I'm thinking of the ones who are sort of out with their friends, peer groups. I think they've found it really hard to adjust to what is okay to say and what's not okay to say. It's almost like uh, in England, I know you use the word banter when people are mucking around with each other, having a bit of a, a go at each other. Um, and I think they've lost the the crucial parts of that now and you're seeing more children i know it was a couple of months ago here but we saw a lot of girls fighting each other on uh, one of our beaches and i think it's because they've been locked away so long and all of a sudden they've got to go out in their group of friends they might have put on a bit of weight they might have lost a bit of weight you know there's all these differences that have happened and now all of a sudden you're saying okay go out and everybody's so excited to go out that we're losing the fundamentals of what so, so socializing is about Totally, to totally correct. Um, again, we forget, we underestimate the challenges and the changes that young people go through adolescence, and it's huge. And they, they, eighty percent of those have really low confidence, very low self-esteem as well. And you know, when they've been safe in inverted commas at home, you yeah. know, just not having to worry about anything, and then all of a sudden they face with, you know, the challenges, education, interaction, peer pressure. Oh, it, it's really difficult. That is difficult for anyone at that age. Never mind for anyone that has any added mental health uh, difficulties. It's, 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 it's really, the implications have been huge, um, you know, in terms of mental health. And you were saying before also about CAMS, which is for uh, child and adolescent uh, mental health. And I think we have the similar problem here in that there are groups that work with 13 or 14 year olds up to 25 year olds, which is specialized for them, it's a free service. However, what it seems to be is unless you are at the point of suicide or uh, saying you're going to harm yourself or hurting someone else, you can't get on those books. So if you've got mild anxiety, mild depression, you are way down the list and you're going to be waiting months and months, maybe years to get at the top because there are so many at the top who need that help straight away. Um, and I know that if you were to call crisis team that you call out, there are usually one to four hours wait between when you call them to when they arrive. So if you're having someone who is really uh, having a, a mental outburst you and you're in the house with them, you have a long wait to try and sort that out. And generally, it now tends to be that the police arrive first with very limited mental health resources. Um, and I think that's also another problem why we have so many people in jail nowadays rather than they're in there for a crime of murder or rape or something like that. They're in there because they've had a mental health issue or they've been addicted to drugs, which I guess we put under mental health or alcohol. And, you know, they haven't been in their right state of mind when they've been arrested and charged. 
the, the, the resources are very, very low. And I think that um, it, it is worrying. I mean, for me, again, I've only just gone back to working in the National Health Service after my five-year career break. And it is shocking, you know, the lack of resources. And it's, it's upsetting. Yeah. Um, but but that's why you, you, you mentioned that before, Daniel. That's why we I, I wanted to create Mind Your Life. That's why you have your podcast. And that's why so many of us are trying to support people enable people to understand better what's going on with them in my website i put i upload videos you know educational videos about adhd about autistic spectrum about you know depression so i upload those videos which are you know done by me recorded by myself to, to speak to people that suffer from those conditions so they understand better how what they are and what's happening to them because we always say that the first port of action in terms of mental health is understand what's happening you know then of course and depending on the level of severity you need you know one or another uh, sort of health medication treatments yeah. and, and so on but the first port of action is you need to understand what's going on with you what what the mental health issue is and that's what we're trying to to do ourselves isn't it that you know with education we're trying to as I said, with mind your life, your responsibility. I'm trying to, you know, speak to people and influence people so they take responsibility and they start learning, they start doing something about about their lives. Because the reality is that it's going to be a while before any national, you know, movement, any national, uh, you know, health service is able to provide the resources that are required. So I think that we need to start taking responsibility ourselves and doing something ourselves about it. Definitely. And look, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago who said that in England uh, there was, oh, what was his name, that Prime Minister? Uh, I can't remember his name, but it was about 10 years ago. And they said that looked like the biggest time when they were going to see a change around mental health uh, addiction. However, it seemed to be that the politicians realised that for children who needed services they couldn't vote at the time and so there wasn't much point in putting a lot of money into something that you know they were going to wait eight to ten years yes. to get anything back on so they wanted How to work that? on things that were going to work in their term of office and yeah. so that How way sad. you leave all those people behind how sad how sad also and how ridiculous because the people that now have addictions are people that, as children, very possibly had issues, and they were in their need. The mental health needs were met. The 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 proportion of people with ADHD that have not had a diagnosis, that are not under treatment, go on to alcohol and drugs. The the incidence, the it's huge. Yeah, so yeah. we're treating we're treating consequences of not having managed Perfect. the yeah. original mental health issue, yeah. uh, which is is just I always say false economy. You know, we do, you can treat addictions as much as you want if you don't treat the underlying cause of that addiction, which starts most times, yeah. you know, in childhood. Uh, in adolescence. What you um, just said so. then is perfect because, and I can understand why someone with a mental health issue 
maybe even just anxiety, depression, and or schizophrenia, bipolar, they do self start self-medicating because it's the only way they know how to survive. And then, as you say, then we've got the issue of a two-pronged effect of not only the mental health issue, but we've also got the alcohol or substance abuse. And if we were to be able to get in there earlier, like, like at 12, 13, 14, and pump more money into younger people and sort those issues out earlier, we would find that those children at 50, 16, 17, don't turn to something else to help them because they are happier and healthier and they understand what's happening with their mental health. So they know that, look, you know, drugs won't actually help me. I'm actually doing okay as I am. Yeah. And, and again, Daniel, when you say, you know, if we put more money, if we invested better resources in these sort of, uh, you know, difficulties at an earlier time, but is, is, is investing in treatment in psychiatry, in Medicaid, is investing in that and is investing in eradicating the stigma. Yeah. Because loads of times, the reason why those people don't, th there's two issues. One is that there's no resources. And yeah. the other one is that people don't go to ask for help because it's too embarrassing, it's a weakness, it's, it's not seen as something that, you know, that may, it's seen as something that makes us feel worse rather than better. So we don't do it. So it, it is, it, and, and sometimes it's ironic because when I encourage people to ask for help, then I think, you know what? Well, then there isn't, the help isn't there, you know, for, for them to be provided. So I don't know whether I should encourage people or not, you know, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double problem. But, but that is the issue. One, we need to eradicate the stigma. We need to normalize what really mental health is. And, and, and doing that, then we need to provide the services, have the resources that are needed to help the people that need the help. But, but loads, eradicating the stigma, half of the problems would, would disappear. Uh, that, that's a, a bit, a bit you know, uh, too, too optimistic, but a lot of the problems would disappear by eradicating because, because lots of the consequences of, of the stigma in terms of self-esteem, in terms of confidence, in terms of anxiety, you know, come from from the stigma. And I, I have experience of that, Daniel, you know, very directly with my brothers. You know, I was seven years old when my eldest brother became ill with his schizophrenia. So throughout all my childhood, adolescence, adult life, I've lived, you know, very, very firsthand what, what stigma is. And I've seen in my brother the consequences of, feel, of, of him feeling rubbish, yep. feeling useless, feeling worthless because of the way he thought society perceived him uh, you know and, and and that's really really sad because in theory so easy to change because you know what when we talk about all oh, resources the government needs to put more money it's like we can't do anything about it it's not up to us it's this flipping government that doesn't do the right thing but when it says you know what you can change your attitude towards mental health. You know, you have a responsibility to think, to see, to understand it better and to think about it differently. And that, so, so it's up to each one of us. If each one of us change our attitude towards mental health, stigma wouldn't exist. And that is half of the problem gone. And, and that is what Mind Your Life is all about. Precisely so that. I know in Australia they've started teaching mental health to I think it's children of eight to ten years old and how to better look after anxiety. So broaching the subject, talking about it. 
Um, I guess this is a really good positive move towards everybody understanding what mental health is. Um, I mean, I know I'm at 50 and there would be people older than me that would still probably say, oh, you know, just pull your boots up and get on with it. You know, you'll be fine. Uh, there would still be some people under my age group who would, you know, say to their mates, what's wrong with you? Come on pull yourself together. It, it, it's a really hard thing to tackle, isn't it? And I've said in podcasts before, I think part of what causes an issue with mental health is with us growing up watching TV shows and movies where there's a serial killer and the serial killer nine times out of 10 has a mental health issue. So then people go, Oh, I've got to be wary of them. Now I've worked with people with schizophrenia, with bipolar, uh, depression, anxiety. I've worked with all different people and you wouldn't find nicer people. And people have to understand that that what you see in a TV show is probably one in a million, one in 5 million is that. And there's probably more people who don't have a mental health issue who are out there doing things like that uh, you're absolutely right and, and it's interesting because I, I was asked this this question a few weeks ago in, a, in another podcast you know did people with schizophrenia we're talking about my brother and they said you know do people are people with schizophrenia violent are they are they dangerous and I said and I said well you know what when you look at the diagnostic classification of mental health illnesses or mental illnesses and you look at these symptoms, you don't see violence anywhere in schizophrenia. So yeah. violence is not a symptom of the illness at all. Violence is a consequence of, of, of the stigma, you know, and the attitude. But also you're right, Daniel, uh, what, what you see on television uh, very, very rarely that, and I know, you know, it's television, it shows, but very, very rarely, a, a person with schizophrenia commits a murder. Is is other type of people? These other other people with psychopathic tendencies. Yes. It's not people with mental illness because also for 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 people with schizophrenia like my brothers. My brothers were very violent. Both of them very violent. But 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 the consequence of their or the the reason for the violence was not their illness was the dynamics at home. My dad didn't understand mental illness at all, yeah. and my dad was really harsh on both my brothers. And my brothers were retaliating against it in the way they could. But also society and neighbors. We had to move house because the neighbors were so um, difficult with my brothers, and we had to move. Yeah. So again, you know what my brothers felt was rejection from everywhere from their from their father from the neighbors from from acquaintances so what what do you expect them to do reject back yeah you know but but really in terms of but they rejected knowing that they were rejecting that wasn't the, the consequence of their illness someone with schizophrenia someone that is very ill that for example is delusional believes something that isn't true that I don't know that that aliens are coming and they're going to take over the world. That someone has impersonated them, and but, you know something like that. People with schizophrenia are always under mental health services, and we see that coming a long way. Yeah. And we do something about it, you know, before it gets to a point where it's dangerous. And we have, you know, for better or for worse, the ability to put people under section and under the mental use the mental. The mental health acts, the, the you know the, the the framework to to take them into hospital against their will to keep them and others safe. Yeah. So the chances of any people, any person with schizophrenia to kill somebody else are next to none. You know, it's much more common that something happens 
you know, because because of other other reasons, you know, um, you know, yeah. not just because of media. And what you were saying before as well is the communication and understanding of your brothers would have gone a long way, you know, because then the neighbours would have understood why there was arguments in the house. If your dad had been able to understand why your brothers had a mental health issue and what the mental health issue was about and that sometimes they're going to misunderstand what you're communicating to them, you know, there's a lot in mental health which is about miscommunication, about someone understanding something different. And I've learned that with someone with schizophrenia that I work with, it can be the tone of your voice, the the few words that you say in uh, in your answer to them. You have to sometimes think really clearly about what your answer is going to be, because if you say it one way, it's perfect. If you say it slightly differently, it's like, oh, my God, what did you just say to me? You know, so we, we, if we had training, if we you know, there are so many ways we can remove the stigma of mental health. And, you know, before we came on, we were talking about normalization and stuff like that. And in reality, no one on this planet is normal. We all have some sort of mental health issue. It could be that we have the milder symptom of um, anxiety, which is good because it's then that flight or fight uh, anxiety where, oh, I've got to get out of this position and that's your anxiety working. And we were saying there's one or 2% on the planet who have no anxiety whatsoever, but then that's a mental health issue anyway because they don't have anxiety. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, it, it's interesting because, again, um, you're talking about normalising and who's normal and who isn't normal. You're right, you know, every, I, I, my view is that everybody's in the spectrum of mental health. And, and again, whether we are born with a predisposition or whether something happens in our lives and then we're vulnerable then, you know, whether whether we're absolutely fine until we be, we're 70, 80 and then then get dementia. And dementia is a, is a, is a illness of the brain. Yeah. It's, a, it's a mental health concern. You know, so again, you know, I believe that we're all in the spectrum, you know, at different stages in our lives, at different ages of our lives, in different degrees and, and severities, but we're all there. It, but, but it's about understanding what really is happening because I lived with my brothers all my life. I've seen it. I've seen the damage that stigma has, met, you know, has, has, has caused. And it could have their lives, my life, people's lives would be so much easier and better. But for everybody, because you're right, you know, I lived in fear all my life. All my life I lived, I actually lived, uh, Daniel, thinking that my, my, I would lose my dad anytime because my brothers were very violent, but, my, but so was my dad. Uh, but because my brothers were ill, I thought they will kill my dad at one point. And every every day I would wake up thinking, is it going to be today, the last day that I see my dad alive? Because interestingly enough, and you, you made a point there before, um, the aggression of my brothers was always towards my dad, never towards my mum. Yeah, because yeah. my mum was very understanding, was very supportive, was very loving, was very caring. So they never felt threatened yeah. towards my mum. My mum never stigmatised them or made them feel uncomfortable. It was my dad, the one that felt that had to put boundaries, had to tell them what to do, rejected them for, for not doing what he, he... And my dad had his own issues. So bless my dad as well, because... You know, when you look at his history, he was abandoned as a child, blah, blah, blah. So he has his own issues, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but, but you know, he, he he didn't do a good job in terms of, you know, supporting my brothers. So my brothers were always 
you know, very threatened to, towards my dad. Um, and look, in reality as well, your dad was doing the best he thought he should do in bringing 100%. them up as normal as he could and helping them to be accepted. But in reality, it was the wrong way to bring them up. But that's what he knew at that time. You're absolutely right. My dad thought he was he started working when he was 13 because his father made him work. At yeah. the age of 13. So my dad understood that's what my brothers had to do. He didn't understand that they had schizophrenia and they were unable to go to school and concentrate and focus. They were unable to perform a job. They, he didn't understand it. He thought that if he pushed them, they would eventually do it. And it was for, for their for their best interest, yeah, yeah. You know, for in their benefit. So you're right, he was doing the best he could at the time. Um yeah. Wow. Look, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because everything we've talked about all comes back to understanding, compassion and better communication, I guess, on everybody's part. And I guess we we also need to look at how the health service around mental health can uh, facilitate better to the carers in the home, the people like the parents, brothers, sisters, so that it's not just the person with the mental health issue going to visit a, a therapist. There's actually information coming in, and it might even be that the therapist comes and while the person with the mental health issue is out, talks to the whole family and says, look, here's a, here's a few suggestions for you to work better with whoever it is and these what they might not work straight away but if we all work on the same wavelength we're going to find that this person feels more loved accepted uh understood and can manage their mental health a lot easier and and that is the framework we use in children's services in in children's services you don't treat the child only you know, in children's services, you 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 support the whole family because the the whole dynamics interact interact in such a way that influence everybody. So if the father doesn't understand the difficulties of the child, then the child is never going to you know uh, improve in the way he or she can do. So yeah. in child in in children's services, we always work with the family, and that should never stop. No matter how old you are, that should never stop. You should you should always work with the system. You know whether the system is the family, the community. The you know you should always work with the system. Yeah. So then maybe that is a good idea for people as they're in adulthood and they have an issue to do some family therapy and not in a way of you know, we need to see what's happening with the family, but just giving those ideas to the family of, look, this is your your son or daughter has schizophrenia. These are what we found are the best ways to work with that in your framework. And here's just a few suggestions so that you can help them at home and, and show them that you're more understanding. And, you know, like eradicating stigma, I've been on um, Instagram now for the last two years, keep putting up posts that say normalize, don't stigmatize. Um, and that's how I grew my following in the first place, because people were like, this is so good. It's good to hear that people want accept, uh, want to um, uh, push for acceptance. Um, and over the years, the people I've interviewed, you know, most people that I interview, whatever their stage is, is let's get mental health at the top of the list where it's no longer something that people fear, but it's something that we all accept and we have compassion towards. And it's not like we go, oh, poor thing, you know, you've got this, but just make it so that if someone comes up to you and says, oh, I've got really bad anxiety, you go, oh, okay, yeah, I've got a, I've got a bad leg or I've got a, you know, it's not like, oh my God, you've got anxiety. It's, it's that acceptance. The more we can push that, 
the, the better everyone's going to be. And from coming out of COVID, what better time do we have to try and push this through? Because 90% of people have experienced um, depression, anxiety, loneliness because of what they've been through. So now's a great time to get acceptance started. I agree, Daniel. And I think that's been my perception as well, that I get the impression that more and more people are wanting to understand what mental health is, are, are wanting to be more accepting of all those. More, I, I, my perception is that there's more people already starting that change in their attitudes. And it's true, some, some people are not at all. And you know, when we do the family work with children and young, and young people, adolescents, you know, we can see very clearly there's some parents that are very willing to work with us and, and would do anything, and they're very receptive. There's other parents that don't want to know because yeah. they feel they feel responsible, they feel guilty, or they don't understand it. So when, when we were when I was little, and you know, we my mother would push for family work for family therapy. It was impossible for my dad, to, you know, to to attend or do any work. He would become yeah. very loud, very shouting. So so we are all at different stages in our understanding of mental health, and 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 that's. That's okay, you know. Yeah. We are where we are, and we will get to the same point. Everybody eventually, but you know, it just, it just, you know, it just takes some time. But the more of us that that understand the need, then the more proactive we become, and the and the quicker the movement, you know, kicks in. Yeah, and, and you're right. It's about you, you use the word acceptance. I love that word. I absolutely love the word acceptance and compassion. But compassion sometimes is misunderstood by feeling pity for somebody. Yes. Compassion is not about pity whatsoever. Compassion is about being able to empathize, to feel like the other person does. And yeah. that is, you know, that is not feeling pity and say, oh, poor you, poor you, you know. And, and having an attitude of arrogance, like I'm better than you, and you know, so so. But acceptance, accepting people for who they are, as they are, with a humble attitude that I don't know any better than you. I don't know what goes on in your life. I don't know what you've been through, because even if you tell me, I've not been you. Yes, I've not definitely. been there. You know, I, I'm still thinking from where I stand. I'm still thinking from who I am with my past experiences and with my genetics. So even if I even if I try to understand you, I'm only thinking I do. I don't know that I do. So so the, the humble attitude to me, acceptance and a humble attitude are the crucial, uh, you know, bits of attitude towards being, you know, uh, um, understanding mental health and being, you know, eradicating stigma. And I think if you have a friend or a partner or uh, you know someone who has a mental health issue, maybe instead of thinking, oh, I can't ask some questions about that, try and learn about what's going on for them or even if you go away and, and look it up online and get a better understanding of how they feel and you don't even have to say, oh, I know what's going wrong with you. You can just go, okay, so now I understand why they might do this or they've got these little uh, quirks that I wasn't sure of so that then you can better understand them and they will feel so much more comfortable around you. But if you could say to them, hey, look, I know you've got really bad anxiety. Can you tell me how that feels just so I have an idea of what you're going through? Because you, we 
always see these memes online of, uh, you know, a broken leg and all these flowers being given to someone and then someone with a mental health issue and no one's around to say anything. So yeah. if we could open up that dialogue and say, hey, just tell me a little bit about what it is so I can understand, so I can help you. And then that person who uh, asks them, they then go away to their friends and go, oh, look, you know, I know someone who's got anxiety and this is what happens. And so, you know, and when we all pass around little bits of information, we all start to accept. Again, that's what I try and do on my website, uh, yeah. Daniel. I, I've uploaded some interviews. I've, I've had I've done interviews with people that have mental health problems. There's a beautiful interview about a young lad, uh, Chris, that uh, has suffered with anxiety and depression all his life. Uh, interestingly enough, when I when I was doing the interview towards the end, when we'd finished the interview, I said, Chris, don't you think that has autistic spectrum ever been mentioned and because to me you know it sounds and he was saying actually Luisa it has been mentioned I don't have the diagnosis but blah 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 but what the point I'm trying to make is that he you know because of the difficulties that he had he struggled all his life nobody really could understand because because I think I believe he is in the spectrum he's been really guarded he's found it very difficult to talk about his emotions the way he feels so again for every other physical illness People do go to the doctors and ask for help. Yep. You know, you have a pain in your in your you know arm, and you 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 go and get some X-rays, or you know, but but you know, but with mental health problems, you try and manage them yourselves because of the stigma. So what happens is that the problem becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and then as it becomes bigger, it's even harder to ask for help. Definitely. And that's particularly true well in males. You know, males males. Uh, you know, are, are are brought up having to to be strong and having to get to, to get on with everything, and you know, so they can't feel that that they have you know depression or anxiety. Uh, going back to Chris in the interview, the interview on my on the website is about him talking very openly and honestly about all his struggles, but it's also um, Daniel about talking about his his strengths. He is one of the most talented musicians I've ever come across with. Wow. You know, he plays instruments. He plays. He's just so incredibly talented. So in my website, I wanted to put one of his songs because because that's what we need to do as well to eradicate stigma. We need to understand the mental health problem that that a person can have and look at it with a very open mind and very humble attitude. That I hear what you're telling me. I think I I want to understand. I think I understand but I leave the doors open for you to tell me more about it so I can understand it better, you know, as, as we go along. But, uh, but as well as that, tell me about your strengths. What, what are your talents? What is your hidden purpose that you may not know about it? Let, let's think about what are you really good at? You know, I'm very good at chatting and talking and speaking. <laughs> That's my talent. <laughs> you know, but, but, but we all have strengths and talents and gifts yeah. Most of us don't know what they are. And how sad is that, that most of us don't know what it is? So that's what we need to do as we eradicate stigma. Part of it is let's, think, let's, let's explore what you're really good at, because that's going to you know, boost your self-esteem, boost your confidence, make you feel better and you know, help you find a purpose. There was a winner on America's Got Talent, I think two or three years ago, called Cody something. And he was a guy who was legally blind and had autism. And his mum said from a young age, she was told he would never amount to anything. 
Um, and I can't remember all the story in between, but anyway, she'd got him to America's Got Talent. He performed a song, played piano and sang. He always loved music. Um, and he got through to the next round and then he got through to the next round and he, he ended up winning it. And the thing there, which was the best, was that average Americans and anyone else around the world who watched it would have thought, wow, I always thought autism was something to be scared of, that it was people throwing things and smashing things. Whereas, as we've said before, a lot of that in autism is also around communication and learning how they communicate so we can communicate better. But to see someone who had really bad autism, who went on to win something like that was phenomenal. And I was really proud that he'd won, but also that a lot of people would destigmatize what autism was around. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody with autism can be like that. There are some people with autism with really bad behavioral issues, which we can work around and try and work around so that we can create a better life for them. It's all about how we come back to the nuts and bolts of how we communicate, uh, how we see the behavior and how we can work to change that. And there are so many different communication styles nowadays that we have available from iPads that um, you can type things out, you can use pictures. You know, we're in the greatest time for being able to communicate with everybody. Yeah, to totally. Uh, I do remember that that um, contestant for uh, you know America's Got Talent. I remember it because it was very impressive, and the message was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But but the message is the same again. Um, that little boy when he was you know when he was born, he was told you'll never amount to anything, and thank God he proved it all wrong. Yeah. He got approved. You know the person that said that wrong because that is the biggest mistake ever to assume that you can't do anything you know yes. to be told and thank god you know that that people that say that are proven wrong all the time and and again is going back we, we we just go back to the same point you're right with autism like schizophrenia or whatever there's so many wrong assumptions about what it is another interview in my website daniel is about a, a young boy with severe autism in a residential school where I where I've been providing you know clinics and, and consultations for, uh, he's also got all their ADHD and quite a complex presentation. But the story that the mum tells in the website about her struggles, you know, first getting the right resources and support and diagnosis, and second dealing with people, people being so cruel, people saying to her things that were awful, you know, that kid needs a good smack, you know, and, and the kid the kid was really distressed because he was in a situation where, you know, she gives some examples that are beautiful, you know, the mother trying her best to, to normalize the child's life, yeah. and people just making it so much harder for her, and that is the change of attitude that I'm really really advocating for yeah look i mean look you've spoken beautifully today uh louisa it's it's been a really good conversation i've really enjoyed it can we have your website address where people can go yes. and have a look at your stuff for mind your life and yes absolutely i, I hope you you uh you you, you have a look and, and you enjoy it. so it's mind your life www.mind um, your life and the your is remember is why are only Yep. mindyourlife.com 
dot com. Yeah. Okay. Well, dot I will com. I will put that in the show notes as well about uh, your your site, and I shall also put that underneath uh, the the advert that I put out. Yeah. But um, look, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I'm I'm so glad we got to touch base and talk. And you're someone that if you wanted to come back in the future, I would love to talk about some other topic around mental yes. health with you. It'll be it'll be a pleasure. I, I as I said, I love I love sharing. You know, my my mind your life is about eradicating the stigma and open and having open and honest conversations about everything. I didn't mention today, Daniel, that my eldest brother with his schizophrenia passed away in January. Oh, and uh, you know what? It was it, it was meant to be that way, and 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 he left in peace, and it was beautiful. But I spent a lot of time with him over the the, the couple of months prior to him passing. And we had beautiful conversations, Daniel, about, you know, about what he would say to people with, with his schizophrenia and mental health problems. And he gave beautiful messages, messages, what he would say to people that don't have mental health and, you know, about their attitude. And again, he, he did say beautiful things. So again, there's an interview that I've, that I've, that I've done about, about that. And this, what I'm trying to say is that there's loads on my website about you know my life with my brothers and how I experienced that my life as a professional and what I do about it in the website I'm putting lots of you know interviews uh, so people can relate to them and feel feel that they understand as well there's videos educational videos you know about lots of different disorders I'm 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 starting a, a series now. My daughter has ADHD, so we're going to do a, a video series with her, and again normalizing ADHD. So what I'm there's a, a I've, I wrote a book, a journal. Um, it's called My Journal, uh, My Life, and it's about it's a guided well-being journal where we. Um, the, the purpose of that journal is changing behaviors, is supporting people to change behaviors. So the first few pages are really practical tools about how, how you do that, how you choose the right behavior to change and how you keep motivated through the change. But the, the, the aim of the journal really is leading to is a change of attitude you know, if we become more positive people, more grateful people, more appreciative people, more accepting people, more respectful, you know, then our life changes and we don't even realize it's changing. So the, so the, the, the journal, yes, supports people through, in, you know, specific changes that they want to, to improve in their lives, doing more exercise, eating more healthy, whatever it is. You know, making you bed every morning, whatever the change might be at any level. So it supports you through through 12 weeks in doing that change. But in doing so, you change your mindset towards a more grateful and positive one. So it's a again another great tool to, to use for people that might might be thinking about making changes. So so sorry, I finished with this. The website has a lot uh, in terms of how we change our attitudes and eradicate mental health uh, stigma, which is which is what we're all about. And that's mindyourlife.com, mind and then yrlife.com. Dr. Louisa Sands, you have been the perfect guest for Life Changes You because you've actually used the words life and changes so many times throughout this conversation that it's yes. great because that's why I made the name because we all have changes in our lives, good and bad, and it's what happens to us. And, you know, you've had 
a life which was a struggle when you were younger with your two brothers. Uh, you've gone on and you've become a psychiatrist. You've worked with children and adolescents. You've now started your free website, which is Mind Your Life, which is full of resources and tools to help everyday people who just need some help. There's interviews, which is great because it's always good to have interviews because then you, this is how I find people connect is when they hear an interview, it's a lot easier than reading a book because a book, Absolutely. you've got your own interpretation. Hearing people talk about mental health, you go, actually, I hadn't tried those ideas or I I hadn't thought of that idea. So it's yeah. been absolutely brilliant having you on. I'm so glad I've met you. Thank you so much. All my pleasure. All my pleasure. Absolutely. Lovely to meet you too, Daniel. All right. Take thank care. you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.